Well, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 37. Uh, And while you turn there, uh, let me just say a couple things about this psalm. It's a long psalm. I'm going to read the entire thing. Uh, We won't touch on every verse. It is another wisdom psalm. It offers counsel and encouragement and instruction. Uh, It includes uh, imperatives and proverbs and personal observations. It doesn't actually include direct prayers to the Lord. Uh, It's more the Lord pastoring us through the the psalmist than our praying to God with the psalmist. Uh, There's no clear structure in Psalm 37. I'm not even going to try to guess or button it up uh, into three neat points. Nobody can really agree. Uh, And you can't tell this in English, but it's another acrostic psalm. It's an alphabetical psalm. It, It means in part it was a psalm to be memorized and meditated upon and laid up in our hearts because the main topic uh, is one that we need today as much as ever, uh, and I've called it living meekly in angry times. Uh, So let's hear the Word of God this morning, uh, Psalm 37. Give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Psalm 37 of David. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil." For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless And their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. 
Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power, or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. For he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen the wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But the transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God endures forever. Uh, don't fret. Uh, this is repeated three times in our psalm, verses 1, 7, and 8. It's kind of a theme. Uh, when we hear the word fret, we tend to think of nervousness. Fretting for us is kind of a quaint word for mild anxiety. Oh honey, don't you fret now. Uh, that is not the sense here at all. Uh, it's actually, don't become angry. The Hebrew word is hurrah, to be hot. Uh, so we might say, don't let your blood boil. Don't get hot under the collar. Don't explode like a volcano. Uh, if you're wondering about the translation, don't fret. Fret has an older sense to bite or to gnaw. Uh, so today we might say, don't let it eat at you. Don't let it gnaw at you. Uh, and gnawing anger is certainly a problem in our world and in our time. Uh, news, headlines, social media feeds push us into more and more anger and agitation. Of course, they're actually designed to do that, right? Clicks equals cash. Hate generates more clicks than love. It's working. People seem angrier than ever. I'd love to say that Christians are exempt from this trend. However, many are leading the way. Anger is a temptation in a world where there is evil and injustice and wrong, and people seem to be getting away with it 
all the time. And so the psalm opens with a series of negative commands in verse 1 and 7 and 8. Don't overheat three times. Don't be envious about people who seem to get away with murder. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Uh, And if you look at verse 8, the end of verse 8, don't overheat. It tends only to evil. Uh, Now this is a psalm of David or perhaps a psalm uh, that makes us reflect on David. Some people uh, note that there was a time in David's life when he learned this lesson, not to overheat, not uh, not to give in to anger because it only tends to evil. Uh, And you can find that story in 1 Samuel 25. Uh, It's the story of a guy named Nabal. Uh, Now, this was a time when David was running from Saul. David had a band of 600 men, and he had protected some of Nabal's shepherds. And so David sends this message to Nabal and says, you know, I've been good to your uh, shepherds, uh, and I'm wondering if you can be good to us and let us come and feast with you. And Nabal treats David with contempt uh, and insults David and refuses to share the Lord's blessing with David and his men. Uh, And David's response was to say, you know, uh, I'm going to take 400 of my men and we'll strap on swords and let's go slay Nabal and his entire household. Uh, Now, that's not a very proportional response, is it? to an insult. Uh, Maybe this is why God never gave me an army of 400 men, because I can understand why somebody might respond this way. But you see, what's going on is David was boiling over. He was hot under the collar. What Nabal said ate away at him. He was ready to go nuclear. Uh, And if you know the story, Nabal's wife Abigail uh, intervened and restrained David, and two things happen uh, at the end. One is that when Nabal found out about what was about to befall him, he keeled over and died. And we read, the Lord returned his evil upon his head, And the other thing that happens is that David declares to Abigail and to everybody else, I was about to commit evil in what I was going to do. And here's what David learned from this event. Let the Lord take care of evil, because giving into anger leads to more evil, not to less. Uh, You know, the Bible is not in favor of vigilantism. That's something that's sort of in the news right now. I think as aggressive violence increasingly permeates social media and political discourse, I wouldn't be surprised if it's something we see more of. The Bible never encourages vigilantism. Uh, James says the anger of man can't achieve God's righteous purposes. Uh, No matter how righteous our concern is, no matter the wrong something uh, in the world, how wrong it is that's going on, when we decide 
to take matters into our own hands and bring justice out of our own anger, it tends to evil. Uh, So understand, you can have a righteous cause, but not be a righteous person in the way that you respond to that. Uh, Well, the Psalms give a real place to our anger. They understand that we live in a world that makes us angry. But the Psalms always set our anger within a broader context, a, a broader kind of ecology of trusting the Lord. And so in between these negative commands about not getting hot and angry in verses 1 and 7 and 8, you get a series of positive commands in verses 3 to 6. Trust in the Lord and do good. That's the opposite of venting your anger. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness or or maybe farm faithfulness. There's no escapism. Uh, Let's not create a Christian commune and, you know, all move to Idaho and go somewhere where we don't have to be around sinners. Uh, You know, farm faithfulness where you are. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, By the way, it's so easy to read that verse transactionally. You know, if I delight myself in the Lord, he will give me this thing that I really want. Well, yeah, but if that thing is what you really want, then you're delighting in that thing and not in the Lord. Uh, And so if you are delighting in the Lord, he is the desire of your heart. So when God gives you the desire of your heart, what is he giving you? More of himself. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you more of himself. Commit your way to the Lord. Well, what does that look like? Well, verse 7 puts it this way. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. To be still and to wait is the opposite of the kind of impulsive, angry actions that usually accompany our boiling over. Uh, It's not about becoming passive, letting go and letting God. It's about actively seeking a state of patience as we put our trust in the Lord. Uh, And when you look at verses uh, 3, 4, 5, 6, in the beginning of verse 7, so many of these verbs have the Lord as their object. Trust in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for the Lord. Uh, In other words, put the Lord at the center. Focus on Him. It's one thing to encounter wickedness and evil. It's another thing to focus on it rather than on God. And I think the psalm is teaching us here how to forsake wrath and anger. You can't simply stop thinking about things that make you mad. You have to find something better to fill your mind with. And that is God and his promises and his sovereignty and his righteousness and his justice. Uh, So coming back to verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Uh, how, how can we do that? Well, I think one way, according to this psalm, is to let the Bible inform our perspective 
about the fate of the wicked versus the fate of the righteous. So this is a really common contrast in wisdom psalms and in wisdom literature, the, the righteous and the wicked. Uh, those who believe in God, those who order their lives around his word and his precepts versus those who ignore him and really want nothing to do with him, right? Okay, so just make sure we understand. This is not equivalent to those inside the church and those outside the church. There are plenty of people who don't meet the Bible's definition of righteous, who live inside the people of God. Uh, This is people uh, who are really believing in him and ordering their lives around his precepts. Uh, So there's a number of statements in this psalm about the wicked. Verse 2, they fade and wither like the grass. Verse 10, in just a little while they will be no more, even though you look for them. Verse 20, uh, they'll perish and vanish like smoke. Verses 35 and 36, uh, the wicked man seems like a garden laurel tree. He, he's like, he looks like that fruitful, watered guy of Psalm 1. I mean, he just looks so well-fed and permanent with his roots going down. But you know what? He passes away and is no more. Uh, and then five times in this psalm, we are told this about the wicked. They will be cut off from the land. Verses 9, 22, 28, 34, and 38. So all of these verses are essentially saying the same thing, and it's this. There is something impermanent about the wicked. Something unsubstantial. Something that disappears and vanishes like smoke. Something that is not enduring, not abiding, not lasting. You know, like the chaff that the wind drives away. Uh, And by contrast, we read this about the righteous, that they will live in the land, verse 3. Uh, Verses 5 and 6, God will act and bring forth and display their righteousness and justice. Verse 18, the Lord knows their days and their heritage will remain forever. Verses 28 and 29, the Lord will not forsake his saints, they're preserved forever and will dwell in the land forever. Uh, And then five times that correspond to the five accounts of the wicked person being cut off. Five times we are told this about the righteous. They will inherit the land. Verses 9, 11, 22, 29, and 34. Okay, so here's what the psalm is saying. Let's make sure we're still tracking. Don't get angry. Don't boil inwardly. Don't get hot under the collar over the wicked because they fade like grass while the righteous endure. Uh, The wicked are the ones who are insecure, no matter how secure they seem. And whatever they enjoy just for a moment is actually promised to God's people as their secure inheritance. Uh, Does what we know about the future of the wicked impact and control our attitudes toward the difficulties and injustices of the present. What would it look like if we let the Bible's perspective on the fate of the righteous and the wicked inform our lives? What would that look like? I think it would look like verse 11. The meek shall inherit the land. 
That's an important verse. If it sounds familiar, uh, it's because it is one of Jesus' own beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus blesses the meek, the non-aggressive, the non-angry, saying that they will inherit the earth. Uh, I just want to make it clear. Jesus is not introducing some new kind of ethic here. He is reminding his Jewish listeners that there is another way of seeing the world than through the lens of power and aggression, a way that is not about grasping and controlling, but about relaxing our grip and trusting what God will do for his people. Jesus' beatitude is simply endorsing the trust of Psalm 37. And you ought to believe that his disciples were making the connection uh, and the other listeners with Psalm 37. The meek will inherit the earth. Jesus does not say the meek will seize the earth or they will win the earth or they will conquer the earth. He says they will inherit the earth. To inherit is a family word. It's a relationship word. It's a grace word. If you inherit something, it is gifted to you because of your relationship to someone else. God has an inheritance for us. And we don't inherit it by being angry. Uh, No one gets to the fullness of the promise of everything that God wants for them. And somebody says, oh, that's so amazing. How did you get all that? And you say, I was angry enough to get everything God wanted me to have. We get it by waiting on the Lord. Uh, Here's great news. The meek inherit the earth. But what about right now? Is there any immediate hope or help for the present? Uh, I think the psalm gives us some wonderful promises here to hold on. I can't point out all of them. Let me point out a couple and then I'll make a few closing reflections. Uh, Verses 16 and 17. Uh, Is that right? 16 and 17? Sorry? Yes. Verses 16 and 17. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. You know, it's okay to not have it all if the Lord is upholding you. Uh, God can satisfy us with blessings from above, uh, which are the things that we need most. And what others possess uh, is bound to dwindle away. What matters is not our strength grabbing onto everything. What matters is God's strength upholding us every moment. Uh, Verses 23 and 24, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast down headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Here's another upholding verse. Uh, And note that language, Uh, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. Uh, You know, all of our stories include falling, falling into sin, falling into doubt, falling into struggle, falling into adversity. Uh, We all fall in all kinds of ways, and no one tells a story that doesn't involve 
falling. David, Solomon, Peter, Paul. There's only one person whose story does not involve falling. Uh, and that is in the Lord Jesus, and that is the Lord Jesus. Which is why in all of our falling, we may fall, but we are not cast down. Uh, we don't stumble into destruction. God cares for us and upholds us in the midst of our falling. Uh, verses 25 and 26, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Uh, this is a little hard to read. Like, there are lots of people who end up in a bad position. I think the psalmist is not giving an unalterable rule of the universe here. He's simply talking about his own experience. He's not saying, I've never seen the righteous afflicted. He's observing that in whatever their afflictions, he has not seen the righteous utterly forsaken. Uh, here's what I think he's saying. Don't be blind to all the ways that God provides in trouble. Don't overlook all the ways that God gives daily bread or sufficient grace or new mercies every morning. There are things that come from the Lord that show we aren't forsaken, but sometimes they're so small and so ordinary we can miss them. So don't overlook them. That's what I think he's saying. Uh, and then verses 39 to 40, uh, the psalmist says, The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Uh, God helps and he delivers. A life lived with God as our refuge is actually a life full of hope and strength, no matter how much affliction and peril there is. Whereas a life without Him is a life devoid of hope and mercy and energy, no matter how much ease and prosperity there is. There's no better place than to have uh, the Lord as your refuge. Uh, so let me just make a couple of reflections on this as we wind up. Uh, first reflection, anger is powerful. Uh, this is why the psalm warns against it in so many ways. Uh, you know, there's a saying uh, that the best way to raise money is to have an enemy. Uh, if you polarize people, they will fund you. If you don't think that's part of what's going on in our world right now, you've you got to see it. Uh, a lot of activism is built around creating a sense of anger. Uh, what does this do when it enters the church? It creates angry, resentful Christians who react to every apparent victory of evil with even more anger. It's so damaging. It erodes trust that the Lord acts to vindicate our cause. It erodes our witness to an angry world that there is peace and hope uh, in God, it erodes our ability to bring people together since anger separates and divides and drives people apart. So anger is powerful. Second reflection, meekness is powerful. Meek people are not weak people. They are people strong enough 
that they refuse to destroy things in anger. People who recognize that anger can destroy a lot of things. It can ruin relationships, often beyond repair. It can tear apart the fabric of society, whereas meekness heals hearts and relationships and communities. I think we're afraid that meekness means being taken advantage of. I think we should probably meditate on verses 14 and 15. The wicked draw their swords and bend their bows to bring down the needy and the poor. Their swords enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Wickedness is not powerful. Wickedness is futile and self-destructive if you've got the biblical perspective. I should say it's not ultimately powerful. Uh, Meekness is real power. It's the power of salvation uh, because Jesus described himself as meek. He entered Jerusalem meekly on a donkey on the cross. He displayed perfect meekness uh, and did not revile or threaten in anger, but entrusted himself to God who vindicated him. You are saved because of meekness. Okay, just two more. Third reflection. The psalm encourages courageous stillness. Not being moved by what makes other people angry. How do we cultivate that? Uh, I would certainly never discourage someone from unfollowing, logging out, or at least reducing uh, their digital diet. But I know social media is not going away Uh, So you should at least be asking questions like these. Do I have an anchor that lets me be unmoved by what is happening in the world? Is what I'm reading online helping me reflect the love and truth of the Christian faith into the world? Does my online life help me value the things that God values? Look at verses 37 and 38. Uh, Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. Mark, behold the righteous. What is it that gets your attention? Who are you envying? There is a future for the man of peace. Uh, Maybe that person is a nobody, not rich, not powerful, doesn't have uh, an easy life, has all kinds of difficulties. But if they're blameless and they trust God and they're seeking peace, they have a future. Uh, And we should be thinking uh, about those people and meditating on them. Okay, last reflection. uh, And it comes from verses 12 and 13. And that's this. The day is coming. Uh, Look at verse uh, 12 and 13. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth. But the Lord laughs at the wicked. Why, Why does God laugh at the wicked? as he's doing all this plotting. For he sees that his day is coming. Uh, A day appointed by God, a day that we don't see, but God does. What is this day? Paul talks about it on Mars Hill. He says, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world with justice by a man he has appointed, and he has given proof by raising him from the dead. So Jesus who embraced meekness, who lived with meekness, who taught us and commands meekness, is the one on the last day who will judge and reward the meek. 
Uh, Listen, when Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth, he's not pontificating generally about meekness. He's not reflecting on the general principles of the universe, and this is what meekness will eventually get you. He's telling you what is going to happen on the last day because he is the one who renders that judgment. God has raised him from the dead and appointed a day where the one who was meek will judge the world. And he says, blessed are the meek because he will bless the meek on that day and give them the inheritance of the Father. Uh, And that is a reason uh, to be meek in an increasingly angry world. Uh, Let's hold on to that, uh, put away anger, trust God, delight in God, commit our way to Him, believe His promises, be still, and wait patiently for the Lord. Amen?